Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Today, we kick off the beginning of our Love, Sex, and Marriage series called Relationships Built Different. Relationships Built Different. And I want to get into the message today. I love that graphic. I feel like when I see that, I'm like, name that novella when I look at that right there. What is that? Um, but I love it, and, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm ready to encourage you. We're going to be speaking about relationships uh, throughout the entire month of February. I just want to encourage you, wherever you find yourself along the relationship spectrum, do not check out. All the messages are going to be for you, especially today's. Today's, we're going to be talking about laying the foundation of a relationship, the foundations of a relationship. Because no matter what you're building, whether it is a skyscraper, whether it is a home, whether it is a body, or whether it is an organization, one of the best ways to determining how something is going to end is deciding how something is going to begin. How you start a thing will dictate often how you end a thing. And let's be honest, when it comes to love, we didn't all get the best start in love. Because if you're like me, our introduction to love oftentimes took place in elementary school. And kids, they be cruel. They be cruel. And so every year, we always kick off our Love, Sex, and Marriage series with love letters from kids. And I want to just give you a, like a disclaimer, like a warning. You might have some PTSD from watching these letters. Just a little bit of a remembering of what it was like to go to school with mean kids. And so sometimes, you know, when you're a kid, uh, love can be awkward. Like, it's just, it's weird, you know? Like, you don't even know how to handle it. And you, you, you come up with stuff like this. Like, this is this person is trying to, trying to pick up uh, a girl. This is his uh, pickup letter. Are you made of copper and terillium? Because you are cute. <laughs> that guy's not getting that girl. I'll tell you right now. It's always awkward trying to figure out how to impress a girl, uh, especially if you grew up in church. If you grew up in church, you had no game because, you know, you had the Bible. And you, Bible didn't, the Bible's great for verses, but not great for pickup lines, you know? I tried to make up my own. It didn't work. It was offended people. And I went out to Warren Girl, and I was like, girl, you need to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> Someone say, why? Because you bad. <laughs> I was like, girl, you know Solomon has 700 wives. Say why? Because he never met you. <laughs> Don't laugh. They're not good. Um, so it can be, it can be awkward. Uh, love can be complicated. Look how complicated love is for like this third grader. This is crazy. Look at this. Don't show anyone. David, I really, really want to go out with you. Cheryl and Sydney are mad at me. That's why Cheryl and Sydney told you I don't like you. And because Cheryl wants Sydney to go out with someone. But I really do like you a lot. Are we still going out? Circle yes, no. Please circle one. And give it to Becky, because you can't trust Cheryl or Sydney. I thought the Hershey kisses were really nice. On recess, me and Becky were watching you play basketball. You're really good. I'm pretty good at basketball myself. But most of the time, I just like to walk around with my friends. <laughs> P.S. I really, really like you. That's just so complicated. Look at the layers. You know, I love triangles. You got a love rectangle going on there with Cheryl and Sydney. And where'd Becky come from? Becky's in the mix now. 
It's just a lot of people. It's just complicated, man. And it doesn't get any less complicated, to be honest. And then the breakups, the breakups can be very traumatic. Do you remember the first time someone broke up with you? Very traumatic, very overwhelming. Um, like this child here is about to get broken up, which is mean. Sean, I am breaking up with you. You have not talked to me since the day you asked me out. That was three months ago. You need to get it together or you will never get married and that would be sad. You should get married, just not to me. Rachel cold. Rachel's so cold. Sometimes the breakups come out of nowhere, you know, like, like you weren't even expecting it. Like you thought things were going so good. Like this breakup caught this poor girl by surprise. I know it caught her by surprise. Dear Erin, you are like sunshine in the rain. Your smile is better than a hundred million sparkly trampolines. So it is with deep regret that I must inform you that I think we should cut our relationship short. <laughs> Whoa, what happened to the trampolines and all that? This came out of nowhere, man. That's cold. And sometimes, let me say, this is the worst breakups I've ever had in my life were the ones where the other person didn't give me no reason. I just think we should end it. And you're like, but why? But why? And they give you no reason. That's what this person had to experience right here. Dear Janet, I think we should break up. I would tell you why, but I'm having a tough time describing my feelings. So I drew a picture of me riding a giraffe instead. <laughs> Sorry. ZF. <laughs> Ladies, guys don't get any better at describing their feelings. <laughs> we just stop drawing giraffes, that's all. <clears throat> and it's not good. And that's kind of our introduction, and that's tough because they really don't teach a class in school on relationships, right? Like it's called social studies, not social skills. And so, in, because we don't have teachers now, here's the problem, we have to go find teachers to teach us on relationships. And in life, the three teachers of relationships for us, they are in this order, listen, parents, popular culture, and pain. Those become the teachers of relationships for us. Now, parents, parents, I love our parents, I love my parents. The problem with parents is that parents are not always the best example of what a relationship should be. Because most of the time, they're doing the best that they could, and the best that they could was working off what their parents were doing. And that wasn't always the best example either. Our parents show us a couple things. Our parents show us what we deserve in relationships. So if there's a little girl who grows up seeing mommy alone and crying again and again, unwilling or unable to leave a man who abuses her, then she grows up learning that this is okay. And this is acceptable. And this is the kind of relationship I deserve. It's okay to be in a relationship with someone who treats you like that. Our parents teach us how to communicate in relationships. So if you grew up in a home where mom and dad were always shouting at each other because that's how they process their emotions, then when you get into an argument with your spouse, you're going to be shouting too, not even knowing why. And they would look at you, why are you yelling? I don't know this, how we talk. Didn't your parents talk like this? No, my parents didn't talk like this. And the worst is when you get somebody who was raised up in a house where the parents shouted, and then you get someone else who was raised up in a house where everybody was passive aggressive. When they fought, they didn't shout. They did the silent treatment. Is everything okay? <laughs> and you wake up in the morning and they poison your coffee. And it's like, I thought everything was fine. <laughs> it's not okay. Our parents define our role in relationships. 
So if you're a young man and you look at your father and he's never home, he's always working, then for you, that's what a husband and that's what a father is. A father is primarily a provider, not a nurturer. Primarily a provider, not a lover. Primarily a provider. So I don't need dates. I need dollars. That's what my family needs for me. That's what my wife needs for me. And that's not healthy either. And even if you do are lucky enough to have great parents, there's no guarantee that your partner did. And it takes two people to make a relationship work. Say amen. Popular culture, popular culture creates expectations of relationships and not always healthy expectations. of. We look to Hollywood's movies and to Nashville's songs to teach us what love is supposed to look like. And they are setting you up for failure. Unrealistic expectations. Like you're watching Joey from The Bachelor on ABC. And, and the dates that Joey be taking these girls on, oh my goodness, they're amazing. Helicopter rides, jacuzzi hot tub, just traveling is wonderful. But you have to remind yourself that Joey from The Bachelor works for ABC and has the budget of ABC. You're not dating Joey from The Bachelor who works at ABC. You're dating Joel <laughs> from church who works at CVS and goes to school at UCF. <laughs> he don't got that budget, and so you can't just, you can't be, he's trying, okay? That was the best that he could do right there. And, but if your expectations are thrown off, then you'll be like, oh, well, that's not real love. He doesn't really love me. Love is, we gotta go on this long, and it's not always that. That's what TV will show you. And don't get me started on the songs. Oh my gosh, like, <clears throat> like I'm not hating. Like, I love this guy. I'm so glad that he's doing the Super Bowl halftime show this year. Usher's my dude. I love I grew up in the 90s. Usher was my guy. But Usher is not the guy. If there is one recording artist you do not want to take relationship advice from, just based off his songs, it's Usher. You remind me of a girl that I once knew. Make me want to leave the one I'm with. Start a new relationship with you. This is what you do. And then if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Let it burn, let it burn, let it burn. Right? Oh, man. And so, so the expectation is, listen, love don't really last. When, when a relationship runs its course, that's okay. That's normal. Love wasn't built to last. That's not the lessons that we want to take either. And then finally, pain. Pain builds the walls in our relationship. It teaches us how close to get to people. I remember one time a girl cheated on me in school, and I met with my youth pastor, and I was like, man, what do I do? I'm heartbroken. This was his advice to me. He said, what you need to do, JJ, is you need to have a heart of ice. He said, you should be cold, man. That way no girl could ever hurt you again. I was like, that's my youth pastor. So that, what I came to find out years later I preached about this. I met him years later, and he said, yeah, I gave you that advice. I'm so sorry. I had just gotten out of a breakup when I gave you that advice. <laughs> I was devastated. And what he didn't tell me, listen, is that pain is an indiscriminate bouncer. And it doesn't just keep the pain from coming in. It also keeps the love from coming in. So you could be in a relationship with someone and not feel loved and feel alone because you've set up walls. So 
it don't work. And then usually we take those teachers and they give us a blueprint and the blueprint that we use is not always the healthiest blueprint. So I'm going to show you now how we build relationships. And I'm, I'm, I'm digging into the archives. I'm pulling out an illustration that I, I used about four years ago because sometimes I feel the pressure as the church grows to preach new things to old people. But really what we should be doing is preaching old things to new people because they're true and they work. And so we take those teachers and we start to build a relationship. And, and the first thing we do when we build a relationship is we tend to build it on the physical. This is a winky face emoji. And this is like me symbolizing two people getting physical. Like. <laughs> and, and this tends to be the first thing we do when we meet somebody. Why is it the first thing we do when we meet somebody? Because it's fast. It's easy, it's pleasurable, and if the end game of being with someone is for them to make you happy, then why not just make me happy right now? And let me just tell you, that's usually the pain trying to resolve itself with pleasure. And usually the pleasure trying to resolve itself without emotional commitment. Because then I can't get hurt if we do something and I don't stick around, that it's all fun and it's no... And it doesn't always work that way. And I was shocked to read some of the statistics as I was doing the research. I found out from the National Institute of Health. So this is the study that was done. Of all the people that they surveyed, 47.9% of people, so that's almost 50% of people, have sex within a few weeks of meeting. To me, that was, I grew up in church. I was like, what? <laughs> then it got crazy. Is it 35.5% of people have sex on the first date? or within two weeks. But the last one is the one that got me. 9.9%, .9 so let's say 10%. 10% of people have sex before the first date. I'm just like, how? <laughs> what does that even mean? How does that even work out? And, but, but why? Why is that okay? Why is that so accepted? Because that's what popular culture tells us to do. Because you grew up watching Friends in the 1990s, and every week they were sleeping with somebody new. And every music video, they're sleeping with somebody new. So this is how we do it. And honestly, what's the big deal? If it's two consenting adults wanting to have that, what is the big deal? Oh, you mean besides STIs? Oh, you mean besides unwanted pregnancies? You mean besides the trauma of abortion? Besides all those things, the problem is, what if we use protection, then we should be good. The problem is, they've yet to create a condom for our hearts. And so whether you want it or not, look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 16. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. It's, it's more than just that. And I hate to make light of the situation, but you know, like, let's just, let's just stop pretending like sex is just another physical act. Come on. Ain't nobody in therapy because they received an unwanted high five. And I'm not trying to make fun of the situation, but I am trying to highlight that there are thousands of people in therapy because they were on the receiving end of sexual uh, approach that they did not want whether it was abuse, molestation, or rape. Why? Because sex hits a lot deeper than just the body. Sex is something that hits us in our soul. Sex is something that hits us in our spirit. And so because it is that way, whether we want to or not, what's going to happen is that sex is going to get emotional. 
sex with somebody, and you're going to get emotionally connected to that person. And before I tell you how this affects single people, this also affects married people. Married people, be careful that, that your marriage wasn't just built on the physical. And you know it's built on the physical when, I'm going to come home for somebody, okay? When she's on her period, she doesn't want to have sex with you, and all of a sudden you don't feel loved. Because the relationship was built on the physical. So now that the foundation is being attacked, the emotions are being attacked. Oh, when he pushes you away because he's tired and you all of a sudden feel unloved, it's because it was built on the physical. Now, single people, you got to be careful with this too because in the first place, it feels great. Don't to, to have that emotion is awesome. I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. You know, it's just like, it's awesome. It's great. That person can do no wrong. You know, every joke he makes is funny, even though they're mad corny. You laugh, you know, and then, and then she spends 20 minutes sharing a story that she could have easily shared in two. And you're like, she's so detailed. I love the way she really makes it come to life. And, and it's just very, and listen, it's not, it's not a problem. It's okay. It's a beautiful, fun time as Rose and there's birds chirping. Everything you see makes you think of them. It's great. As long as you know that this isn't love, this is in love. And there's a difference between love and in love. Let me explain. Love is a choice. In love is a consequence. And, and you didn't choose to be in love. You didn't even say that. You know what we say? We say you fell in love. Oops. And nobody chooses to fall down. You fell in love. You know how you know that in love is a consequence? Because if it was a choice, how come we can't stop loving people who hurt us? How come we can't get out of love with someone who's abusive? How come we can't get out of love with someone who cheats on us? Because it's not a choice. It's the consequence of getting physical. So now because you got physical, all of a sudden you are connected and you can't unconnect that. I feel like in the room today, like people are feeling personally attacked. I'm not talking, you don't feel, relax, it's okay. I'm on your side. God loves you. He's on your side. This is, this is to help you, not to hurt you, okay? And then just pretend like it's for your neighbor. You know what I'm saying? Just, all right. Love, here's the difference, is a daily action. In love is a fading emotion. Are you, are you with me? Psychologists say, that the feeling of in love, as amazing as it is, will only last six weeks to 18 months. And then on the 19th month, you wake up and you're like, you still here? <laughs> because feelings, here's what they always do. Feelings fade. So you can't build this on something that is fading or else your foundation will literally erode underneath you. You can't do that. All right? It's not going to, and, and if you do build your relationship like this, then you just treat people like sticks of gum. I'm going to chew you as long as you got flavor, but when the flavor's done, I'm going to spit you out. And I'm going to move on to another stick of gum, which is how we do life with people. Mm -mm, good, good, good. Oh, I don't feel you anymore. Mm, no, that's not love. That's, that's, that's chasing pleasure, not, not, not relationship. It's different. And married people, let me help you out too, because one day you're going to wake up next to your spouse and you're not going to have those butterfly feelings. I'm going to be honest. 
I've been married to my wife for 15 years, 15 years, 365 days a year. I've woken up to her thousands and thousands and thousands of days. And some days I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you're here. And then other days I'm like, oh my God, you're here? Like, oh my God. Like, back up. Why are you all up on me? I'm on my side of the bed. Honestly, in the beginning of our marriage, you remember, I was, I was sleep like this for like a year or two. Like this. Now she was trying to get up on me like, I need space. Let me stretch my arms. I love her. And you go, oh my gosh, Pastor Jack, how could you do it? You're not in love with your wife anymore. I got something higher. I got something called love. You know what in love is? In love is when you're driving home and the dude's got roses on the corner and then you're like, oh my gosh, my wife, I love her so much. I'm going to stop in. I'm going to buy her some roses. And, and that's cute. That's cute. That's cute. But here's what love is. Love is when her and I get into a fight or an argument and then I go, mm, I'm going to show you. And I go downstairs and I wash the dishes. That's love, love. Because love is not what you do when you're feeling it. Love is what you do even when you're not. Love is what you do because you made a choice to somebody, to be by somebody's side, in the thick and the thing when it got difficult. I'm not, I just don't feel her anymore. Good. Now we can build it on something deeper than feelings. Here's the last thing you need to know. You're not really in love with them. You're in love with the best version of them. You know, you haven't met, you, you haven't really met them yet. You met their representative. You met the person of them that they send out into the world so that people can be happy with them and pleased with them. You met the version of them that never forgets to leave the house without the deodorant. You met the version of her that always got her hair done and always got the makeup on 10. You met that version. You haven't really met the real them, but, but you know, you're in love, and so the next thing you do after you're in love, most people do at least, is they're going to, okay, you know what? Things are getting serious. I'm going to introduce you to my friends, my friends or my family. It's time to meet mom and dad. It's time to get you. And you can't trust these people because <laughs> these people are going to tell you everything you want to hear, and they lie. They lie. You know how you know they lie? Because when you brought them around the first time, oh my gosh, he's so cool. Does he have a brother? Oh, he's so funny. Ah. And then when y'all break up, I never liked them. <laughs> never liked them. Why? Because they weren't committed to telling you the truth. They were committed to telling you what you wanted to hear. But to be honest, even if they told you the truth, I don't think you'd listen. Because some of them will try. Some of them will try. You ladies, you don't have some friends that are going to get around you and be like, hey, um, I don't know if he was joking when he said this at dinner or not, but like, uh, he said his credit score was two. <laughs> I'm not knocking him, but maybe we should ask, like, where he's spending all his money. You could ask those questions. It might be good. Guys, you might have some friends and be like, hey, so, you know, she dated Tom. Yeah, that's cool, isn't it? And Chris. Yeah. And Harry. And, and that's not, hey, no, no knock on women who've dated people. All that. I'm just saying, it, you should just ask what happened. Maybe just ask what happened, and then we'll say this to you, how dare you? And then we'll say this, then we'll say this, you don't know them like I know them. But you don't know them. You got emotional, and that's why you're not even hearing what they're saying, because love is not just blind, love is blind and deaf. And even when people come with facts, and even when people come with information, even when people ask honest questions, we completely ignore 
and push out, and, and that's definitely uh, a problem. But then, usually, after we meet the family, what happens? After we meet the family, usually we get married, and when we get married to somebody, ooh, that's when we really get to know them. This is called the interpersonal stage of relationships. <clears throat> this is not just where we get married. It's usually where we get divorced, too. Because now that you're married, there ain't no place to hide. Now you see them for who they really, really are. Girls, you fell in love with him for his humor, but now you met his habits. And his habits ain't as funny as his humor. Guys, you fell in love with her because she was beautiful. And then you found out that those nails pop off. <laughs> and that those lashes peel out. And that the hair disconnects. And now, ladies, no knock. Ladies, do whatever you do to make you feel good, beautiful. Go, go get it, girl. Do what you got to do. Make yourself look like a 10. Just let me help you out. Just make, make sure that he gets to know you enough so that he falls in love with a person and not an appearance. Because you can't keep that up your whole life. You can't live on 10. It's too much pressure. He needs to love you for who you are. And then finally, when we meet them, we, like, we ask this question. We ask one or two questions. Number one, we go, who are you? Or we'll say this, you changed. They didn't change. They just stopped acting. They didn't change, and you were too in love because you built wrong to see who they were. Or, or, or they were just really good at hiding their pain. You changed. And then when things get real tough, when things get real hard, when it feels like it's all about to come down, here's what we do as people. A lot of tears, a lot of crying. I think we should go to church. Girl, I think we need to go to church. I saw a mailer come in the mailbox, love, sex, foundations, love, sex, and marriage. We need to go to church, girl, because I don't think we can, this is about to fall down. Listen, but when you put God last, when he was created to be first, then what was made to be a foundation becomes a burden. Now I got to carry this. Because listen, you keep coming back the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear messages, hey, maybe you should wait to have sex until you get married. But now all of a sudden, what's the foundational principle becomes a burden of guilt. Oh man, I don't know. That's a lot of change. That's hard to make. And some of us can't make it. And so we don't do it God's way. So we end up running away. And then what happens? The relationship finishes. We turn single, okay? And the weight that you're carrying now is the weight of the history of that relationship that follows you for the rest of your life. Until one day when God says, because 
I wanted to give you a chance to rebuild. God didn't knock it down because he hates you. He let the devil knock it down so that he could rebuild you. He wants to rebuild you. So let's rebuild. Let's rebuild, right? We're going to rebuild, and we're going to rebuild God's way. Now, I just need you to know, you're not the first person to think that you could build it another way. I'm going to show you how to build it the way the Bible says to build it. And you're going to disagree with some things and think that you're the first human on planet Earth who figured out a cheat code. There's no cheat code for hard work. You got to build it God's way. All right? And so I promise you, don't try this. this uh, my son was trying to cook something the other day, and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm figuring out the recipe. I said, there's like 100 recipes on YouTube. I'm just figuring out, why would you take the time to figure out something that's already been tested, that's already been proven, that already works? Invest in that. Build that. Or you're going to waste time, you're going to waste resources, and you might get burned. Build it this way. So, so here's what we're going to do. The first thing we're going to build when we build it God's way is we're going to start with the spiritual. If you're taking notes, God is our source. God is your source. If you're going to build, God is your source. He's got to come first. Here's what the Bible says, Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Lean in, Journey Church, for this revelation the first relationship that Adam had was not with Eve, it was with God. The first relationship that Adam had was not with Eve, it was with God. The idea that I need another person to make me whole does not come from Christian theology, it comes from Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, the humans were created, and then Zeus in his jealousy when they were created, they were created with four arms and four legs and two heads. And so Zeus in his jealousy split humans in half. And now every human spends their whole life looking for their other half. This is Greek mythology, not Christian theology. In Christian theology, listen, I was whole before you got here. And in fact, my relationship isn't a half of a person looking for another half of a person. This is good, guys, I'm about to say. My relationship was birthed out of my wholeness. Adam was so whole that God was able to pull Eve out. You got to be whole if you want to be pulled out because two half people don't make one whole person. They make two half people. Now you got two half people in a relationship. Are you with me? And so, and this isn't, listen, and so married people, this is important for you. Because I know you're thinking, this isn't for me. We're kind of starting off. Married people, this is so important for you. Why? You got to make sure that you don't love your spouse more than you love God. That your foundation is not him or her. So Liz and I were in the car the other day, and she said something that was so romantic. And for a second, it was romantic. And then in another second, it went from romance to repentance. We were in the car driving, and, she's, and we were talking about heaven. Because that's what pastors talk about. That and Usher at the Super Bowl. And so we were talking, and she said, babe, I don't know how heaven works. She said, but I hope that your mansion is somewhere close to mine. Like, I want our mansions to be on the same block or at least the same zip code. I said, yeah, amen. And then she said that. She said, because if you're not there, it's not heaven. Oh. For a second. <laughs> and then right after, we looked at each other, and we said, oh, no, that's not good. 
Legit. No, that's not good. Lord, if you heard that, Lord, I'm so sorry, Lord. Because they're not what makes it heaven. God is what makes it heaven. Jesus is what makes it heaven. And you got to be careful. It's okay to love your spouse, but they can't come before your love for the Lord. Why? Because people are people, and people will let you down. Even if you're the best person, things like car accidents happen, things like cancer happen, and then, oh, he let me down, she let me down. Did they let you down, or did you let yourself down by building on something that could let you down? You needed to sturdy your foundation for your life. Now, single people, the best time to build this foundation is when you're single. This is the time of your life where you can really lean in to loving God and loving God more, and not just so that you can get a spouse, but so that you can live and not need a spouse. I was single for three years before I met uh, Pastor Liz, like before my last relationship. I wasn't on any kind of like fast or anything like that. Just nobody wanted me. But for three years, (laughs) didn't have anyone. Thanks, Mom. My mom said, I wanted you. I appreciate it. And, uh, and, and so, single um, people, listen to me, it, it's because here's what you need to hear. Then I don't like it. I'm going to say it. Put out that camera. This is my, got to speak to you camera. Yeah. Single people, listen, you need to learn how to be single and be at peace and be happy because you might be single forever. Somebody said, rebuke the devil. I just. <laughs> I rebuke the devil. If you rebuke that, you might have to rebuke Jesus because he's the one that said this. Matthew 19, 12, marriage isn't, put it on the screen, because if I don't say it with the screen, you're going to think I made it up. Marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or accepted, and some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. Now, I want to just pause right here because there's a single person in the room right now who's like, that's why I'm single. Nobody loves me because God made me to be alone. No, no, no. Let's finish the, the verse right here. Look what it says in verse 12. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. So if that is you, you're going to have a divine grace and strength to be able to walk that out. But the point is not that people were created to be single. This is the point. Listen, that romance is a beautiful gift, but a terrible savior. And we need to break this idea that America, that Shakespeare, that everybody wants to pitch us, that we cannot be happy unless we got another person in our life that we call boo. And it's just not true. It's not true. And if you don't figure that out, you're going to always be chasing another half. So we got to build on the spiritual. And I know what you're saying too. Well, doesn't the Bible say right after that, Genesis 2.18, The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Read it again. It is not good for man to be alone. It didn't say it is not good for man to be single, which is why God is our source. And friends are your resource. It's okay to be single and to be single forever, but it's not okay to not have friends. You need a community of people in your life that are going to encourage you, correct you, love you, make a space for you. All right? So single people, let me help you out. Make sure you get friends. Get in a small group. All right? And hopefully out of that small group, maybe a friend turns into something more. Amen? Get in a small group. You never know. Is that a bad reason to get into a small group? 
No. <laughs> you never know. But listen, because before they become your husband, you want to make sure that they're your friend first. Are you a friend? Marry people. Let me help you out, marry people. I'm talking to you now. Make sure that your husband or wife never stops being your friend. Make sure you can still have fun with them and kick it with them and laugh with them. They have to start being your friends. Now, this one's going to really come from married people. And married people, make sure they're not your only friend. You need friends other than your spouse. My spouse is my best friend. Amen. But they shouldn't be your only friend. Because now you're putting all the pressure on one person to be everything. They can't be everything in your life. You need friends. Well, I don't like nobody else. That's why I married them. <laughs> you need friends. All right? And once you have friends, listen, people are your resource. The person is your course. Make sure you get to know them. Study them like they're algebra two. Get to know their insides and outs and, okay, you don't want kids? I don't want kids. Oh, you want kids? I want kids. Okay, you feel called to ministry? I feel called to ministry. Do you feel called to live in Florida? I feel called to live in Florida. Oh, you like this? I like that. Good. You have this parents and this culture? Okay, great. You make this money? I make this money? Okay, cool. This is your plan for retirement? This is my plan for retirement. All right, good. We know each other. And Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. God's not saying to put your heart in a box. He's saying, make sure you find somebody you can trust it to. But you got to find out, make sure that you can trust them with it. Don't just give it away. Study them. Ask questions. Get to know them. And then when they prove themselves trustworthy, then you give them their heart. Marry people. Don't stop getting to know your person. People evolve. People change. The person you married 20 years later is not the person you were at the altar with. You have to continue to know them. And people who are called to be single, I feel a burden in my heart to speak to people who are called to be single this year and this month. If you're called to be single, the person you get to know, and I know it sounds like a cop-out, is God. You get to know him and you get to know yourself better and better and better. And I know that might sound weak, but in the Bible, there was a woman named Anna. And Anna was a widow. She was married for seven years and her husband died. We meet her when she's 84 years old and she never remarried. What happened? It wasn't like she was 50 or 60 when her husband died. Only been married seven years. Most Hebrew women got married at the age of 14 or 13. And so assuming that she's now 20, uh, maybe even uh, 20, 21 or 19 years old now, her husband's dead. She's still young. She's childbearing age. She probably has a lot of suitors out there that are looking for her, but she never got remarried. You know why? The Bible tells us because every day, this is the only detail we know about Anna's life, that every day and every night she spent it in the temple of the Lord. She got to know God more and more. And you know what happened? She fell in love with God. Emotions endorse. So single people, once you get to know them, then you give them your emotions. Then you give them your heart. It's like voting. You know, when you endorse a candidate, that candidate spends time trying to get you to believe that you can trust them with their vote. This is what we do. We, we have to get, we, that person has to show us that they're trustworthy. Then when they prove to us that they're worthy, we don't put the ballot in the box. We put our heart in their hands at that point when they've already shown us that they can be trusted. And then finally, when the emotions are in place and we feel like we can trust them and we love them, then we get married. And then once we get married, we get physical, physical. <laughs> 
And what will the physical do? The physical will reinforce. Now, this is the big difference between the way the world builds relationships and the way we build relationships. The world gets it going with the physical. The Bible keeps it going with the physical. Did you catch that? That's what sex does in a marriage. It keeps the fire alive. It keeps the emotions going. So, so married people, keep it going. Some husband's like, this is my church. This is my church. That's my pastor. Keep it going. Amen? Amen. But, but what about those single people? What about those people called to a life of singleness? I had to rethink this illustration when I preached it four years ago because I was essentially saying that the pinnacle of life is being married and having sex. But if you're called to being single, then what? Am I missing out on the best life has to offer? No, not at all. Because your completion is not in a person. Your completion is in God. So you got something better than this. You got this. This is the pinnacle of life relationship with Christ Jesus. Now, because you know that there's no marriage in heaven, right? You know there's no sex in heaven, right? Somebody's like, they did not tell me that when I signed up for this. What about hell? Tell me about hell. No. No. And you know why there's no sex in heaven? Look what the Bible says. Matthew 22, 30. At the, resection, at the resurrection, people will neither be neither married nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But here's why. Here's why there's no need for sex in heaven. Because at the resurrection, we're beyond marriage. As with the angels, look at this, look at this. I love this. All of our ecstasies and intimacies then will be with God. Because every crevice or crack in your heart or soul that sex or a person fills today in eternity God will fill all of them in a way that no person or no sexual experience ever could. So single people, you don't have it. You're not at a loss here. You get the best lover. You get the best father. You get the best caretaker, the best provider, the best nurturer if you run to him. And, and if that messes with you right now and you're like, oh, I don't know, then I, if God is not enough for you now, he won't be enough for you then in heaven. So we got to make him that now. So I got two questions and we're going to pray. My first question is posed to those who are married. Then I'm going to pose a question to those who are single, whether you're called to be single or just single right now for a season. To those married, has your spouse become your foundation? Don't answer right away. Think about it. Would it be heaven if they weren't there? So those married, has your spouse become your foundation? If you came here because something that they did hurt you, broke you, sent you running, maybe it's because you had built on them and we need to rebuild tonight, today. So those who are single, has romance become your salvation? Are you running to other people to fulfill in your heart what only God could do? This was the only message I wanted to preach today, hear me. We need to get this one in its place before anything. If you're married, it's not too late. If you're single, start now. Get this in place. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray for married people. I want to pray for single people, widowed, whatever. You're in the room today. Listen, 
married people, I want you to begin to pray right now. Ask the Lord, search my heart. If my wife or if my husband has become the foundation of my life, search my heart, Lord God. Help me. Help me to not. Help me to replace. Help me to make sure that you have your place. Make sure that you come first. Single people, has romance become your salvation? Are you, are you looking for it to pull you out of your pain, to pull you out of your... That Savior's not coming. That night is not coming. That, and if they do come, I'm telling you, they're not going to be able to do what you think they can do in your life. You have got to get to a place where you go, if it never happens, I'm honestly good because my salvation is not romance. I got good friends. I got good family. And I got a God who loves me and will love me. If that's not how I'm going to spend eternity, then why do I got to spend the next 30 years like that? I can do this. And maybe then God will bless with that relationship. Maybe not. But you're good because you've got Jesus. Let me pray for you, and I want you to pray for yourself right now. Father, you see all that. Lord, touch their hearts right now. God, I pray that as we are lifting up our prayer to you, that you would work in us, work in us, work in our heart. Help us to get you first. Help us to lay the foundation with you, Jesus. We want you to be the one that we put our trust in because you never leave. You never abandon. We can always trust. If you're in the room today and you don't have a relationship with God, you're far from Jesus. Let's just stay in that spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. When I count to three, I want you to raise your right hand. And what you're saying is this. I don't think Jesus is anywhere in my pyramid. I've abandoned him. I've left him. I've forgotten him. But I'm ready today. I want to give you, Jesus, my everything. I want to give you my life. I want to put you first. Today, I make a decision to become a follower of Jesus. But for real this time, all in, I'm ready. On the count of three, if that's you, raise your right hand. One, two, all over the room. If that's you, be brave and let God meet you. One, two, three. Could you raise your hand right now? Come on, I see that hand. It takes a lot of courage to raise it. I see it all over this room. I see you, sir. That's courageous. I see you, ma'am. That takes a lot of courage. You can put your hand down. Don't worry. We're not going to let you pray alone. Journey Church, let's pray with our church family right now. Let's all say this out loud. Father God, today I make you the foundation. Today I put you first. Forgive me, Lord, for building on anything else. I repent and I turn to you. Help me to love you more than I love anyone or anything. I recognize you as my Savior, not romance, you. Forgive me, Jesus. I'm a sinner, but you love me anyway, and I love you back. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and celebrate with those who made a decision. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.